You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning and welcome to City Church. My name is Hunter Levine. I'm the SALT director here, which means that I get the opportunity to work with our college staff here on the campuses of TCC, Florida State, and FAMU. And this morning, we got a chance just to see just a glimpse of what God is doing in the lives of college students right here in Tallahassee. On Sundays, we've been working through and slowly going through the book of Acts. And there's a couple things that as we do this as a church and a a big kind of emphasis that we want is for you guys to have a couple takeaways. The first thing is that as we work through the book of Acts verse by verse and we slowly go through it, What we hope that it does for all of us is it helps us become better at reading our Bibles for ourselves. Here at City Church, our desire is not just for people to walk through the doors of the church and attend a service and then not interact with God's Word until they do it the next Sunday. Our desire is that there would be people in this church, filled with people in this church, that love the Word of God and are able to study it and teach it and explain it. And so as we work through books of the Bible like this, it helps us to be able to read along and follow along in a way that our hope is that you can replicate at home in your marriages and your families with your children and friends. The second thing that we get out of going through a book like this is it comforts us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm just focused on myself, I can kind of, uh, kind of act like nobody's ever struggled with the challenges that I have. Nobody's ever experienced the adversity that maybe I've experienced or, or just start to kind of isolate myself in my own little bubble. But as we work through the book of Acts, which was written almost 2,000 years ago, we are reminded that these challenges and this adversity, the pain, the discouragement, all of these emotions that we experience are nothing new. And as we do that, it actually comforts us because we can see God working through them and continuing to be faithful. And the third thing that it does is it teaches us how to walk and navigate through life. So many things that we struggle with, what does it look like for me to honor God in my workplace, in my city, with my friends, in my family? The list goes on and on and on. As we study and go through the book of Acts, we're able to better piece together what it looks like for us today in our context to do so. And what we've consistently seen throughout the book of Acts is this big idea that the kingdom of God will continue to advance. The kingdom of God will continue to advance and we are called to faithfulness. That's what's asked of us. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus tells this to his disciples. He's talking to Peter. He says, and I also say to you that on this rock, the rock being that Peter had professed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one the Old Testament said would come and would restore man's relationship with God. On that rock, on the gospel, I will build my church. Jesus, God, will build his church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. It's a promise. It's a proclamation. And as we study the book of Acts, we see God continue to build his church as he continues to save people and use people for his purposes. And what we see that's asked of us is for us to be faithful with that message, with that rock that he's building it on, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the challenging thing for us. 
we don't need to play PR. God doesn't need a public relations manager to make the gospel more relevant or more palatable. He doesn't need us to try to make Christianity cool. That's not what he needs. He needs us to be faithful with the message. He doesn't need us to get a bunch of thought leaders together into a room and get out a whiteboard and start marking up all these different things on the whiteboard and to develop a new strategy. Christianity doesn't need a new strategy to see people enter the kingdom of God. What Christianity needs is for us to be faithful with the message that it's had all along. Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. At Salt, our college ministry, you'll see a lot of our shirts and things like that that say 1002 on them, and it's referencing Luke 1002, where Jesus is speaking to this thing that we're looking at in the book of Acts, where he says, the harvest is abundant. Some translations say plentiful, meaning that the world around us is abundant for ministry. It's ready for ministry, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the people doing the work of the ministry are few. I heard somebody say last year, you could put it this way, the ears are open, but the mouths are shut. The laborers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. All this belongs to God. All this sits under God's sovereignty. And he says, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. We are called to this work. We are called to pray that God would continue to raise up faithful workers in his harvest. That's why one of the things that we encourage people to do here at City Church is to set a reminder on your phone at 10.02 to just pray for our city that God would raise up men and women right here in Tallahassee who would be faithful with the gospel. That's what our college ministry is all about to take young men and women in their college years and to raise them up to be great church members wherever God brings them next, that they would share the gospel, that they would love and lead well. And Jesus says that, and then he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And here's why he says that, because the harvest is a challenging place to be. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Sometimes when we hear about the field or or we think about the harvest, we think about a a college student's photo op at a blueberry field. Have you noticed this? College students love blueberry patches because the photos are so amazing. They put on different outfits. They pretend like they know a lot about like gardening. They're like, I'm going to have a garden one day. And they're running around and they're doing all that and it's all beautiful and then they can go get coffee after and then go post their photos about how they had an amazing blueberry picking session. But here's the reality. Being in the harvest is a hard place. There's a battle happening in the harvest. There's adversity in the harvest. There is unbelievable pain in the harvest. And as we study and look through the book of Acts, what we see is time and time again, God's people trying to be faithful workers in the harvest, experiencing pain and adversity and discouragement again and again and again. But what they do, they don't come together to develop a better gospel, a more palatable gospel, a cooler Christianity, a better strategy. They just continue to be faithful again and again. And even when it seems like it's not going to work, it does because of what God has promised us, that he would build his church. He's just called us to be laborers in it. 
And that's what we're going to see in the passage we're looking at this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts 19. That's where we're going to be. If maybe this is your first time or you've missed a good bit of the, the Acts uh, sermons that we've had, I, I encourage you to go online and to catch up so that you can see the bigger picture of what's happening in this book. But there's four things in this chapter that I, I want us to see that's going to help us understand what does Christian faithfulness look like for us in the field? What does Christian faithfulness, if what God has called us to do is to be laborers in his harvest, to just do the work of ministry, what can we learn from this moment in the book of Acts that will help us do a better job here in Tallahassee? Now, as we look at this passage together, I want us to kind of get a feel for the context that all this is happening in, and it's happening in an area, a city called Ephesus. Now, the city of Ephesus was a place where people, young people in particular, they would come from all around the world and they would come to study and they would come to party. They had all sorts of crazy cults. There was all sorts of just madness happening everywhere. In fact, I think it's helpful for us to think of the city of Ephesus like the city of Gainesville with the only difference is that the people in Ephesus could read, okay? <laughs> so if you can imagine Gainesville like a literate Gainesville, okay? That's where all of this is taking place. And there's people who are coming in, and in this wild place, and as we study it and we look at this passage this morning, I'm going to give you a disclaimer right now. Some weird stuff happens in this passage. That in this dark, challenging, weird place called Ephesus, God would start a movement that would be a catalyst to reach all Asia Minor and to reach the world. It was a strategic place. It was a strategic people because of how people would travel through and how people would go to other places. This is why we at City Church are so passionate about college ministry. We have students from all around the world at FAMU, Florida State, and TCC. We have students from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different experiences that are going to go and be sent all around the world when they graduate for their work. And so we believe that that's one of the most strategic places in the world for us to make disciples because the world is coming here and people are being sent into the world. This is why City Church is a part of what we call the SALT Network. It's a group of churches, a family of churches who work together to plant and start new churches in college towns so that we can lift up the gospel and reach the world through the college campus. That's what we're a part of here at City Church. And God would use what's happening in Ephesus, the place that we're going to study this morning, to change the world and even give us the letter of Ephesians, which when you walk out here, you'll see Ephesians 1. It's one of the most beautiful letters in the New Testament. That is what God is doing here. And Ephesus had all sorts of idol worship. There was every kind of darkness. There was a temple for Artemis, this idol of this fertility God. I mean, there were some really discouraging things happening in Ephesus, and yet God would redeem it and use it for his purposes. We'll start in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, Paul asked them. They replied, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized a baptism of repentance, telling people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is Jesus, Paul tells them. When they heard this, 
they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. So Paul comes into the city, he meets some people who were described as disciples, and he has this conversation with them about do they actually know who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. So the first thing that we can see about what it looks like for us to be faithful in the field is that clarity is needed. Clarity is needed. John preached that the Messiah was coming. He said, repent, the Messiah is near, he's coming. And when Paul uh, met these, these men and women in the city of Ephesus, he wanted them to understand that Jesus was the one who John had preached, that Jesus had already on the cross accomplished what the Old Testament scriptures proclaimed. It mattered to him that they understood the gospel, that this man, Jesus, was God in the flesh who lived a perfect life. And because he had that perfect life that allowed him to stand in our place on the cross and receive the punishment that we deserve and give us his perfect life so that we could be restored to the Father. All the Old Testament, all the prophets in the Old Testament are all pointing towards this Messiah figure, this one who would come and restore God's relationship with man. And what Paul is saying is, Jesus is he. It has happened, he is here. And in that moment when they hear about Jesus, that that has been accomplished, they place their faith in Jesus and they're baptized into the name of Jesus and they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about that. But here's the first thing I want us to see is that clarity is important. And to Paul, affiliation was not enough. The text even says that these men were disciples. They greeted Paul. Oh, you're a disciple too? That's great. Oh, come with me. Come have lunch with me. We're all a part of the same thing. But Paul wasn't just happy being received by some disciples. He wanted to know that they had a firm grasp on the gospel. And this is something we talk a lot about at City Church. Our senior pastor, Dean and Sarah, even wrote a book called Unsaved Christian about this very thing, that you can have the title without the transformation, that you can claim to be a Christian and not truly know Christ. You can walk through the church doors on Sundays. You can have it listed on your social media profile. You can tell people that you're about Christ, but not truly know and trust in his work. And the first thing we see Paul do when he's in Ephesus and he's greeted by these men is he says, do you know Christ? Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon them because when we're saved by Jesus, we're not just saved from our sin, but we're empowered for the work of ministry that's in front of us. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit as God works through us. And so Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and that it would actually be better that the Holy Spirit does. In John 16, 17, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is telling his disciples, the men that had walked with him, it's actually a good thing that I'm about to leave and ascend. And you can imagine how challenging that would be to accept. It's like whenever I have to watch my kids, my wife is like, okay, I'm going to go away. There's this food. There's these things. She has like a list for me. I'm like, okay, uh, okay, I'm a little, you know, challenged here. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go away, but it's actually going to be a good thing because I'm going to send, he says, a helper for you. The Holy Spirit. 
God working in us, indwelling us, empowering us for the work of ministry. You are not just saved and given a clean slate. You are saved, you are given a clean slate. God sees the perfect life of Christ and he empowers you to do what he's called you to do as he continues to work through you. And that's what happens in this moment. In the book of Acts, there's these Pentecost experiences that happen about four different times. And we don't have time to unpack all of what it means with the, with the prophesying and the speaking in tongues and kind of dive into all of that. But one of the things I want us to understand as we go through the book of Acts is a lot of this is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning it's describing what's happening, what God is doing in that moment, but it's not prescribing it to be the expectation or the norm in our world today that this is exactly the way it's gonna look every time a person comes to know Christ. And we don't have time to cover every single facet of that, that's something we actually have in our equip classes, we have spiritual gifts, we have conversations at that level in our equip classes, but we can do this. We can have grace to land at different places about the way in which the Holy Spirit empowers us to do ministry. And although the Holy Spirit does not always work the same way, here's something for us to take away. He always works. He's empowering us for what God has called us to do. And this is what's happening with these men. They were called disciples. He says, no, no, do you know Jesus? And then they place their faith in Jesus, and we see that they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and empowered to do the ministry that's in front of them. And that's the same for you. All the challenges that are sitting in front of you when it comes to the ministry that God has called you to do, he will work through you, he will empower you, and the beautiful thing in Romans that we're told that he will use all of it to, for our good to make us more like Jesus. That's what's happening in the opening here. We need to have clarity that people know who Christ is. And then the story moves to show some of the challenges and some of the darkness of ministry that these men and women in Ephesus are about to experience. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some had become hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, which is what they would call the followers of Christ, in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So the first thing is clarity is needed. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know what that means. I want you to understand the scriptures. But the second thing is that resilience is necessary in God's field. We have to be a resilient people. I love in verse 8, it says that Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly. If you go through the book of Acts, you'll see that word over and over again praying for boldness, speaking with boldness, acting in boldness. Paul was bold. And when you look at Paul's ministry, because so often we lift up Paul and you would think that he had the most prolific ministry you would ever seen. But what's happening with Paul throughout the book of Acts is basically everywhere people, everywhere Paul goes, people try to kill him. Like multiple times he has to flee for his life. He's shipwrecked. He's bit by a snake at one point. Like Paul's ministry is anything but downhill. But what Paul needed to do and walk in what God had called him to was boldness. 
and he would speak boldly the name of Christ. In Acts 4, we see Peter and John, which we looked at earlier, they were in the field doing ministry, and they were in this conflict, and they began to pray for boldness. They say, Lord, I know that I need boldness to do what you've called me to do. In verse 31 in Acts 4, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God boldly. What does the Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering us to do? To speak the word of the gospel boldly. But Paul, he was also resilient, not just in being bold in the moment, but he was consistent over time. It says that he would meet with them every day. And even in verse 10, it said this went on for two years. Like, we glance over that and just kind of move on. That's a long amount of time. In our world today, like, I get upset when an Amazon package takes four days to get to my house. And here's Paul for two years in the city of Ephesus. One verse spanning two years of ministry. And it's a reminder that we have to be playing the long game. That we need to be okay when the way that God chooses to work isn't the way that we want him to work isn't in the time that we want. And we have to trust that he is working and he's working through our faithfulness in that moment. And God brings the growth. He's the one building his kingdom. And this is great news for us. This relieves so much pressure on us because we can't save anyone. We can't build anything. All we can do is be faithful and be a part of the process that God's called us to. And he's the one that brings it to growth. And that's such good news. But here's what's challenging about that. He's going to bring that growth in his season, not ours. And that might look like us living out verse 10 for two years, four years, 20 years, or more. If you're in this room and you're a parent, and for years you've been praying for your child, that they would come to know the Lord. And you feel like you've talked with them and you've prayed for them. You feel like you come here on Sundays and you try to model things for them. You've tried to even live out the attributes of the gospel in your own life and you've forgiven people that have hurt you. You've forgiven people that have hurt them. And you're just getting tired and you're just wondering, I wonder if God's ever going to work here. Be resilient. For those of you who are college students in this room and you feel discouraged because you look around and you feel like, I don't see any movement. I mean, I invite people to things and they don't want to come and I try to talk to them about faith and they don't want to talk and I'm looking for open doors and it feels like everywhere I look, it's just closing and closing and closing. Continue to be resilient. Paul spent years investing in these people. Sometimes he saw the growth, sometimes he didn't. Sometimes the growth happens long after you're gone. Sometimes he was greeted with disciples and sometimes he was greeted with hostility. Sometimes things were looking really good and sometimes he thought he was gonna die. But he continued to be resilient. If we are going to make an impact in the city, on our campuses, in the world, we will have to be people who are willing to speak boldly and we have to be people who will show up again and again and again in people's lives. College football is back. You think about college football recruiters, if you've ever been around any of the recruiting process. When I was in high school, some of my teammates and people were getting recruited, and 
this, this group of people is very resilient, very consistent. And so what will happen is they'll start to have conversations with possible recruits, and if they don't get a text back, they'll call. And if they don't get an answer on the call, they'll show up to practice. And if the kid's not at practice, they'll show up at their doorstep to get a tight end to play football for four years for one of many universities. Are we willing to show up to people's doorsteps to see them enter the kingdom of God for eternity? Can we do that again and again and again? And when they walk away, we walk with them. Walk even further. We have to be clear and we have to be resilient. The story continues, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Now, one of the things that we see as these miracles are happening in the book of Acts is the purpose of the miracles in that moment, in that season, was to attest to the message, to give the validity that was needed to Paul so that the gospel would expand, so that even the face cloths, the verse says, and aprons that had touched his skin were brought back to the sick, and the diseases left him, and evil spirits had came out of them. Now, some of the interned Jews, exorcists, also attempted to pronounce the name of Lord Jesus over those who had had evil spirits. They would say, I command you by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. The seven sons of Siva, the Jewish high priest, were doing this, and the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recommend Paul, but who are you? Great moment. The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And when this had become known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. I don't blame them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in a high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And in verse 20 says, and in this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. There's a lot that just happened in those few verses. But the first thing I want us to see is that spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. We have demons, we have magic, we have spirits leaping on people. And once again, we don't have time to unpack all of the different ways that we can interpret that and all the different ways that might look in our world today. I'd encourage you to check out our equip classes if that's something you're interested in, you want to dive deeper in. But we see that spiritual warfare is real and we can get all caught up in the details about what this looks like and how this does and doesn't look in our world today and miss the very clear thing, the thing sitting right in front of us, which is that spiritual warfare is real. There's a real battle happening in the Lord's harvest. And in Ephesus, there were this group of magicians that came together. And we're not talking about card tricks on sidewalks. We're talking about people who are trying to connect with dark forces that are, that are involved in demonic practices, looking for connection and intimacy and power and purpose. And this is what's happening in Ephesus at the time that Paul is doing ministry. And the power of the gospel is pushing through it all. For us today, the reality with spiritual warfare is that it often doesn't look scary. It's an interesting thing, even when we look at the Bible and we begin to look at how Satan and how the enemy interacts with God's people throughout the Bible, time and time again, people aren't scared. Like you think about in the garden with Adam and Eve, a serpent comes up to Eve and begins to talk to her and she's not scared. 
Like how many of you, if a serpent came in your laundry room, we'd have to put you in ER, right? Isn't that interesting? Or how about when Satan interacts with Job and begins to try to cause him to doubt God? He doesn't show up looking like some sort of universal horror nights extra. He doesn't scare Job. He tries to deceive Job. Time and time again, we see a lot of times spiritual warfare has nothing to do with flickering lights and haunted houses. It looks like whispers in our ear that say that God's not good, that he doesn't love you, that he's not working, that he's not enough. And we see that as Jesus is building his church, the enemy is not concerned in scaring you and causing you to like lose some sleep. The enemy is concerned with the, the church being built up, and so it wants to divide, and it wants to pull apart God's people, and it wants to cause bitterness and envy and greed and lust, but most of all, it wants us to have doubt that God is not good, and he's not who he says he is. And that's what we're seeing. There's an old saying, and I think it's true in, in our world today, that the greatest lie that Satan ever told was that he wasn't real. We just forget. We wake up, and we go in our routine, and we're raising our families, and we're living our lives, and we can miss the fact that spiritual warfare isn't real because it's not magicians burning books in the streets, I hope. <laughs> but it also reminds us as we look at this that there's no such thing as a place or a person too far from Christ. Because here's the thing, when people are getting wounded and running around naked and they're burning books and stuff, like, that's a pretty, some pretty intense stuff, right? And God would choose to use that place where they worshiped Artemis for fertility, where they practiced magic, where Satan had a stronghold, God turned into a catalyst. And he would use it to reach the world. And as we read that and as we think about that, we can be reminded that there's nobody in our lives too far from God. When we walk around our campuses in Tallahassee and we can be discouraged by some of the things we can see, where we see discouragement, God sees potential. He's raising up laborers. Even last Tuesday, we saw over 500 college students here in Tallahassee lifting up the name of Christ and preaching the gospel. God is working. There's no such thing as a place too far. There's no such thing as a place too dark. So we're called to be faithful and to realize that spiritual warfare is real. And there's two quick things on that that I want to remind us. One, that we are not at war with people. It's not people we're at war with. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our war is not with a people, a political party, an ideology. This spiritual warfare is not man on man, it is a, a spiritual warfare against spiritual forces. And the second thing is that the people of God, that the people that God brings into our life are worth fighting for. They are worth fighting for. And we will get banged up and we will fall down and we will make mistakes and we will get discouraged and we will wrestle with doubt. But what we can see in the book of Acts is they're worth fighting for because God can work in their lives. They can know him. Imagine Paul going into Ephesus. It says he was there for two years doing ministry. Imagine after the first year going, a year's a pretty good bit of life. I think I'm just going to move on. The people are worth fighting for. And here's the fourth thing, and we've seen this throughout this whole text, that God's kingdom is growing. 
His kingdom is growing. It's not about our product that we create. It's about God's promise. It's not about a product that we create. It's about a process that we are invited to, that we get to be a part of what God is doing right here in Tallahassee. And what he asks of us is not to develop new strategies, is not to have better services, is not to have cooler t-shirts, is not to be more likable. What he calls us to is to be simply faithful, to do the work, to lift up the name of Christ. So our desire for our church is that we would be clear with who Jesus is. It's not enough that someone has a cross necklace or has the name of Jesus in an Instagram bio or that they attend services, but we long and want people to truly know how the gospel impacts their life, that we would be a church that's resilient with the work of ministry and we wouldn't be discouraged and we would speak boldly and in the places where many people would move on and lose hope, we just keep showing up again and again and again because there's no better work that we could be a part of than what God has called us to right here. And so even when it's hard, we just show up and continue to be faithful. We're a group that is mindful that spiritual warfare is real We don't sugarcoat what this harvest is like with our next-gen ministries in age-appropriate ways from kids to youth to college students. We help them understand that following Jesus isn't easy. And living for him is not painless, but it's worth it. And we get to be a part of a process and something that Jesus is building that's greater than anything we could ever imagine. But there's real wounds along the way. There's a real battle happening in God's harvest. And the last thing is that we can be confident that God's kingdom is growing. By the grace of God, we get a taste of that here at City Church as we see people professing faith through baptism, as we see college students attending services. And that's not, none of that's promised for tomorrow. We get a taste of that, but all of that is because of him, not us. It's nothing that we're doing. It's 100% what the Lord is doing, and by his grace, he invites us in. I hope that we can continue to see that as a privilege as a church, and in response, we would go all in, that we would continue to give to things like Let's Go, that we would continue to mentor college students, that we would continue to do everything we can to ride this wave that God's allowed us to be a part of right here in Tallahassee. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll do the Apostles' Creed and the benediction together. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for an opportunity to sit down today and to study your word. Father, I pray for those who are discouraged in this room that you would remind them that through this text that there's no place that you can't work. There's no person too far gone. And Father, just pray that you would allow us to see the privilege it is at being a part of the process of building your church, your kingdom, for your glory. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity just to to celebrate our college campuses kicking off. And we just pray Luke 1002 that you would continue to raise up men and women on the campuses of TCC, FAMU, and Florida State that would love your gospel and use those years in a strategic way. Father, we pray that you continue to bless this church. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen.